welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. Welcome back, everybody. This is the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Aris, and it's my privilege today to be joined by Pastor Nate Wright. And Nate is pastor of Crossroads Alliance Church in Ingersoll, Ontario. He's also a host of the Rebel Podcast, and we're uh, what is it? Label mates, channel mates uh, on the uh, on the Fight, Laugh, Feast uh, network. La- so label can... mates makes us feel a little seem a little bit more important than I think we actually are. So let's go with that. That's a good one. Yeah, that's good. All right, I'll uh, I'll call Gabe. I'll tell him to uh, switch up the terminology. Label mates yeah, on the good. Fight, Laugh, Feast network. Nate and yeah, I, perfect, and some others. Uh, Nate, it's really good to have you. Thanks for uh, thanks for being on. Yeah, I'm, I'm, thanks for having me. I, uh, as you know, uh, Ryan and I go back. We've spoken at conferences together and uh, done some stuff through the Ezra Institute together. So uh, Ezra's always been near and dear to my heart, and I listen to you guys regularly as well. So thankful to get the opportunity to come on and chat with you, catch up a little bit, and talk about God's law. All good yeah, stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Before we begin, I have one quick announcement, and that is about our Worldview Leadership Academy. This is a program for high school-aged teens, uh, and this year uh, we're running one in Canada. We're also running one in the United States. It's happening July 30th through to August 4th in Huntsville, Alabama. And the big news about it is that there are scholarships available for this event, not only for uh, your attendance costs at this event, but also following up, uh, Brian College, who is an ed- a partner in uh, Christian education in Tennessee, uh, they are offering uh, scholarship and uh, credit for students who have done this program, who want to transfer that uh, that program and, and that time into college course credit at Brian College. So, uh, Visit uh, visit EzraInstitute.com, that's our website, or Brian.edu, B-R-Y-A-N.edu, and you can find out more about that. You can register and apply uh, for the Worldview Leadership Academy, and we hope to uh, to see you there this summer. So Nate, that's, uh, we're going to keep, keep our announcements brief so that we can jump into this conversation. Today's... Uh, topic, we're getting back to our, uh, our series in the Ten Commandments and taking, uh, putting one foot in front of the other. Uh, we've come to the Eighth Commandment, uh, Thou shalt not steal. Nate, I'm going uh, to turn it over to you uh, just to ask you, we were talking just a little bit before the show, we, we all understand uh, or I'll have a concept of you shall not steal in terms of you shall not walk into a store, put something under your coat and walk out without paying for it. You know, you shall not go through your neighbor's window and take his stuff. Uh, But what, uh, I guess, why, why do we, why do you think we see this as one of the 10 commandments? What makes it one of the, one of the 10 sort of keystone rules on which to organize a, a just society and, the, those two sort of obvious cases that I mentioned, uh, is, what is the what is the scope if there is one above and beyond uh, beyond those those obvious test cases? 
Yeah, I, I think um, you guys have been doing a good job as you've been going through the Ten Commandments. And, uh, you know, we'll just say at the onset, Ryan and I said that uh, between the two of us, we can do the job of maybe, maybe do the job of one man. Uh, Joe's shoes are, are big ones to fill, especially when we're talking in the realm of God's law. But, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, right. as we think about this, uh, the, you know, do not steal and the next uh, commandment that you will get to, don't lie. Um, I think a lot of times we, uh, and don't bear false witness, I should say. And, um, mm. I think that these are the ones that seem like the Sunday school ones, like they're, they're put in there for the Sunday school class and the kids in the nursery, um, to teach them proper etiquette with one another, uh, when we read them at sort of a cursory level, but like all of the, um, uh, laws in the Decalogue, I think that they are far more broad and profound, uh, than we often give them credit for. And so, uh, yeah, we all understand, you know, you, you shall not steal mean it prohibits me from going into Ryan's house and just taking some of his stuff, taking his kids, taking his wife, taking his belongings. Um, but what it, uh, uh, it goes far beyond that. So we would all kind of have that cursory understanding, but I think that this, this branches into all kinds of things. I think something that's really relevant for probably a lot of listeners who, who work, especially in a post COVID world that are probably working remotely. This mm. includes, um, stealing time, uh, and that sort of stuff from your employers, right? So there's, there's those kinds of things, but I think even more broadly, when you look at sort of systemically, because um, a lot of God's law, which the enemy hates, um, has sort of been systemically uh, attacked uh, by mm. uh, the, the wickedness in the world and the principalities and powers of darkness that hate God's law. And so I even think that things like taxation and overtaxation and um, the, the relinquishing of, of property rights um, and even things like property tax. So I, th I would say that property tax is a violation of the Eighth Commandment. Um, I, I'd say I'm in uh, good company with that. In Nehemiah, I think it's in chapter 13, Nehemiah uh, rips out some beards over property taxes. So Nehemiah right. is on my side yeah. um, in, uh, in thinking that property tax is completely unjust. But that's like, there's so many of these things that we now take for granted. We live in this world where we believe um, you know, our, that the civil authorities – own all the property, own all the land, and have the right to tax its population. And, and we forget that even when Israel cried out for a king, um, right. and, and you know God said, well, I'll give you a king, but guys, like he's going to tax you even up to 10%. <laughs> and I think all of us who live here in Canada yeah. that watch you know, 50% at plus taxation would look back at, at 10% and, and long for the days when our government was only that greedy. And so um, I think we've-, yeah. we've uh, If only we could have a king like Saul. <laughs> well, that's it, right? So I think that there's there's all kinds of these things, and and the this idea of not stealing, not taking what does not belong to you, is a far broader subject and a far greater law than we often give it credit for when we just treat it mm -hmm. as the Sunday school. You know, don't 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 take the the toy that belongs to the the kid next to you. Right. So, I mean, uh, I think that um, when we think about, you know, property tax in particular or the idea of um, uh, just private property ownership is, is that even when uh, you're making a case for why the Bible affirms private property ownership, um, mm. it, you know, this law, this command presupposes that somebody – that we own things. If, if, if it's That's saying, right. you know, you shall not steal, it presupposes then that people are actually able to own things, not have things on lend, lend from the government or, or whatever, that people can actually own things. 
Uh, and so uh, I, I think that the sort of basis of this law comes from the biblical understanding that, um, you know, God owns the cattle on a thousand hill, right? Um, and uh, that uh, the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Um, that's uh, Psalm 50 and Psalm uh, 24. And, and so the idea is that everything belongs to God and God has uh, delegated not only his authority, but also um, ownership over the world to his image bearers. And right. so uh, even as uh, Israel comes into the promised land and God gives Joshua the right to divvy up the promised land upon conquest, um, it's given to, to patriarchs. It's given to families. And, uh, and even as God solidifies and, and codifies his law, uh, Jubilee laws and these sorts of things actually had private property reverting back to those uh, original families that God had given the land to. And so all of this presupposes the the ability to actually own land and own property. And so it, it, you, we can't start a conversation about thou shall not steal without affirming what the Bible clearly affirms. And that is God wants people to own stuff and have mm. actual real wealth. And I think that this is this is what plays into the whole idea of you know building an inheritance for your children and all that kind of stuff. So that's I, I think the first acknowledgement, especially in a world like ours, that we ought to acknowledge. You know, the Bible affirms that uh, image bearers of God ought to be able to own real stuff. So sorry, right. Klaus Schwab. You know that whole idea that you know you'll own nothing and be happy. It's not the biblical framework. the The biblical framework is that uh, men ought to own things for their families and for the welfare of society. Right. Yeah, it's not a uh, not really a framework or an equation for happiness. That's that's the wrong that, view of happiness. To uh, to that's own right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so when when we're thinking through um, this and uh, we think about uh, taxation, it's interesting that mm -hmm. uh, when you when you look at um, uh, Israel and uh, in, in, in slavery in Egypt. Um, you have this idea that that slavery to them was um, Pharaoh's demand to uh, this, this unreasonable demand to make bricks without straw, right? So not giving the resources, but demanding mm. things from it. And also this this overtaxation is in fact, right? It was twenty percent in in Egypt. Um, with that, that was considered slavery. So again, God has something to say about tax uh, taxation, and uh, we live in a system now. Because it's rejected God as the ultimate authority, um, we have a state, and I know you guys talk a lot about statism on the Ezra Institute. It's interesting. I think actually it was in a, uh, a recent podcast, one of you were telling the story of uh, R.C. Sproul in the car with um, – uh, Francis, uh, Francis Schaefer. Schaefer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, where Francis Schaefer kind of, where R.C., you know, thinks, you know, here's my chance. You know, I can ask Francis Schaefer and all of his, you know, prophetic understanding and, and, and ability to read the culture and where the culture is going. You know, what's the biggest threat to the church in the coming decades? And he said statism. Mm -hmm. and, and part of that is, is because, you know, when we are talking about one of these great commands, like thou shall not steal, how many Christians have taxation come to their minds? Many of us don't. And it just shows us that we're we're growing or we're growing up. We're we're living and breathing a a statist mentality that has us thinking wrongly, even about these ten commandments, because we're not seeing that um, you know uh, because a civil authority has enacted unjust laws that allow them to steal from their populace um, doesn't uh, we we think we don't have a category for the reality that that actually violates God's law, right. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point, uh, and it, that uh, that brings up Nate, your uh, 
you're first and foremost uh, a pastor, and so as a, as you as you bring up uh, sort of taxation and. Uh, the levels that we're used to here in Canada, what, something uh, something comes up that might be. I'm not sure if you've had this question come up in uh, as a pastoral thing, but uh, the issue of most uh, most families that I know, most families in my uh, years and mine age bracket with some, like elementary aged kids, uh, they we get uh, what, uh, what what we refer to as the baby bonus, like the uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. for. Uh, for having kids and being at home, I get the assumption on the government's part that it's going to take uh, take one parent out of the workforce. Uh, historically, yeah. that's been the mother, but yeah. who knows what mother is these days. Um, <laughs> that's true. So, yep. so, if we can't tell what women are, we can't tell what mothers are. <laughs> I guess the, uh, I don't know, in terms of navigating that, re- uh, receiving yeah. it, not receiving it, applying for it, um, is there a is there a consistent uh, biblical position that we can take on uh, on something like that? Whether um, I so yeah, I would say um, this is likely. I would I would put this under the category of a conscience issue in terms of what parents or what families want to do with that sort that sort of money. Sure, um, but there are some Absolutely. I would say pastoral. Um, or biblical, um, uh, just wisdom, you know, some biblical wisdom that would help navigate that decision. So I'll talk, I'll talk through that a little bit. Um, so what I would say is, first of all, if your family is living in such a way that you rely on that in order to make ends meet, um, then, then the government has you, right? He who right. has the, you know, he who, who, uh, has the King's gold, it becomes the King's man, right? So that yeah. the idea that, if um, there's always strings attached with government money. So I, I always suggest that schools, you know, especially private Christian schools, classical Christian schools that, that churches are starting, don't take a dime of federal funding. Churches should not be taking a dime of federal funding. We shouldn't be applying for summer jobs program uh, yep. money. We shouldn't be applying because we w- what we've seen, and I think there were a lot of, I think even solid biblical churches who hadn't thought through these sorts of ideas and, and suddenly, several years ago, I think it was, uh, what, probably five or six years ago now, you might have a better understanding of that than I do, but Justin Trudeau sort of uh, attached strings to that government uh, summer jobs program. So That's right. many churches, so just background for some of the American listeners, many Canadian churches would have taken government grant money uh, that was given to organizations that hired on summer student workers. And so there are a lot of churches, I would say even good solid churches, that we're taking that money in order to pay for VBS volunteers or VBS staff in order mm. to do good things. And, and their argument in that regard was, hey, we're, we're getting the gospel out to the kids and all that kind of stuff. But again, government money always comes with strings. And so what Justin Trudeau did was he actually made churches sign a statement that essentially said that they they didn't um, that they upheld Canadian values when it came to women's reproductive rights. And what he meant by that, of course, is that we aren't we aren't anti-abortion, and so I don't think that there are churches that could, in good conscience, sign that and take that money. And even though that came in years after some churches have been taking that grant money, but the principle here is the idea that I think if we believe in in sort of the separation of church and state, and what we mean by that isn't what the general idea is, is not the separation of religion and state, but the separation right. of church and state, that they are different spheres delegated with different authorities to different 
uh, governing bodies, all delegated by God, and God is at the head of both of those spheres. So um, if we believe that, then, then we believe that the church ought to operate independent of the state, not under the state. And, uh, and so I would say um, that churches shouldn't be taking that sort of money. And so similarly to a family, I would just say if you, if you can't make ends meet without taking your baby bonus or your child tax credit or whatever um, you know, new terminology is used, mm. then you're probably living in such a way that um, you are putting yourself in danger of compromising should strings be attached to this kind of stuff, right? Because I, I can, I'm no prophet, but I can see down the, the line a very similar sort of sign-off that might need to be made that would say that parents would affirm the gender preferences and the pronouns of their children and things like that in order to receive that money. And mm-hmm. so just understanding that if you are putting yourself in a position where you need that money in order to make ends meet, then you're actually um, uh, increasing the likelihood that you'll succumb to temptation and do something that violate that does violate your conscience right um another sort of way of thinking about this that i think is is probably um worth talking about is that there there'd be some what i don't think any christian should do is take that money um without any uh biblical wisdom applied to it so the question is how are you taking that money or with what view are you taking that money are you looking at that money as something that you are entitled to because the government says so in which case how how is it that you can take that and then disagree with some of the other things that the government would have you do like shutting down your churches or whatever the case might be but then on top of that i think you know i think and i've heard christians say this is they they would look at them as themselves sort of in a robin hood sort of um idea right that this yeah. is this is me stealing government money and using it to raise my kids in the fear and admonition of of the Lord. That's that's robbing the kingdom of darkness and bringing it into the kingdom of light. And I, I totally support that idea, that mentality. But once again, the question becomes, what happens if um, you are dependent upon that and stipulations right. or strings are added to it? So my personal pastoral advice to many of my people is um, that that actually ought to be just set aside. Don't use it right now. Don't use it to raise your kids. Don't use it to raise your family. Don't use it to pay bills. Set that money aside and use that as a future nest egg for your kids, right? Give that to them as a down payment on a house or whatever the case is, but put it aside in case the government ever comes knocking on the door for it. Um, it's there for you and you haven't used it and you can simply say, no, I'm not going to sign that and I don't need your money anyway. Here you go. Right. Yeah. That's what are your uh, thoughts on that, Ryan? You're a, you're a family, uh, that's being fruitful and multiplying and, 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 uh, filling your quiver with arrows here, here. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think, I think there's wisdom in, uh, in everything you've said. Um, the, uh, the, the line that, uh, that come comes up often and which I think is legitimate uh, is that uh, this is uh, you know the we we acknowledge that the government doesn't owe us this money that uh, but uh, on the other hand as you say with regards to the taxation question you, there's there's a a mentality that this is this is kind of my money to begin with I mean it's it's not yeah. it's been washed through rivers of bureaucracy and it's somebody it's it's your money coming over to me but everybody's uh, taking their pinch of incense right right yeah. <laughs> but th- there's a uh, there there is an understandable attitude that uh, you know, well I'm paying I'm paying all of this in taxes anyway this is nice to get something back uh, yeah and that's uh, that's yeah. really you know, in some cases, as far as far as it uh, it goes, 
And, you know, I, it's funny. I'll take this as an opportunity just to – if I'm steering the conversation in, in a way you don't want it to, just rein me in there, Ryan. You got the uh, you got the bit in my mouth today. Yeah. But um, when, uh, when, when you guys brought up – and by you guys, I mean the Ezra Institute. When you guys brought up Doug Wilson a number of years ago for a, uh, a lecture, an escarpment lecture and uh, mm. a few things. And I know we, we both did some additional recording, both as a Rebel podcast, as the, as the Ezra Institute there. And it was interesting, though, because he was talking about Christendom. He was talking about um, the idea of, uh, uh, you know, uh, God's law affecting change in the culture. And I remember, actually, one of the guys that I brought, my 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 co-host on uh, the Rebel Podcast, Chris Poots, he got up and asked him a question about where to start, right? So, right. Yeah. You know, Doug Wilson, a guy who's been thinking through this longer than I've been alive, um, telling us about the various principles of the new Christendom, which was just a phenomenal lecture. I'm sure you can still find it somewhere. But yeah, it's um, online. Uh, the, yeah, the Q&A was, was fantastic, too, because you just have an opportunity to pick the brain of a guy who's been thinking about this longer than we have. And, uh, and the question Chris asked was, you know, where do we start like, where do we start? This seems so daunting, right? We're not even at a Christendom yet. Nobody's crying out for God's law yet. We still have wicked rulers. Where do we start? And I was shocked at Doug's um, response, but the more I've thought about it, the more I, I said, hey, this is this is the, the response of a guy with a lot of wisdom. And he said, start with tax reform. Fight for tax reform. Um, mm. You know, get Christians mm -hmm. into politics who will fight for tax reform. Work with um, your representatives for tax reform, and he and he started playing and teasing that out. And and the idea was, you know, if if uh, Christians are getting their kids out of the public school system, then one of the first things we ought to fight for is that my taxes don't go to fund my enemies. So my right. taxes don't go to fund a public school system, which is quite frankly, discipling our enemies. Yep. And so um, it, it was just interesting to me. So some of your listeners might be sitting there going like, hey, we're talking about stealing now. And, and there's some real good practical pastoral advice about not stealing for my my time for my employer. Let's talk about that. You guys are, are getting on this taxation thing a little bit too, uh, too heavy. And all I would say to that is that, you know, imagine the kingdom good that could be brought out of um, the ability for Christians to designate the money that's designated for education in their taxes to where they want. Like if we could direct those to uh, private Christian schools and classical Christian schools and back to homeschooling families, imagine the good that could be done if that massive piece of um, Canadian taxation was actually funding our allies and not our enemies. That would be huge. So yeah. I think that people just don't think through what a behemoth this um, this particular topic is. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's valuable. Just throw that up there, and uh, we'll we'll acknowledge how how big of it uh, of an issue it is. Uh, you, I want to get back to something you mentioned earlier, um, which is just that it's a it's a biblical principle that that men should be owners of stuff. Uh, yep. And I think it's it's just it's important to say more about that because we like we it's not a biblical principle that men should accumulate and own and hoard a bunch of stuff and look around and say this is mine. Um, it like ownership is not for its own sake. Um, ownership is That's for right. the the uh, the purpose of you know of stewardship uh, under God. Uh, it's a it's a relative ownership, uh, and also for uh, for development, uh, you know, whether it's you know, whether it's land or uh, you know, financial resources and investments or whatever else, whatever else it is 
that uh, that's yours. Uh, you you're able to dispose of that as you like, uh, yep. with with the understanding that this is this is to be done to the glory of God because you're going to give an account for, like the uh, you know the servants who had the five, two, and one uh, talent. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a great parable to think about this through think through uh, this with is. You know, one of the things that is often overlooked about that particular parable is that um, the the servants that are commended by God are actually the ones who risked what He gave them, right? Mm. So they invested it at the risk of losing it. It was the the one with one talent who actually buried it, and he says, uh, "You know, I was I was scared of losing it. So yeah. because you weren't willing to risk with what God gave you, um, you you end up burying it and then losing it." And he's he's called the unfaithful servant um, who's thrown out. So I think that God gives us things, um, not that we might hoard them, not that we might keep them jealously, fearful of losing them, but he gives them to us that we might hold them in an open hand. In fact, um, you see Solomon, you know, in all of the ways that God blessed Solomon, um, is uh, Solomon, you know, was was uh, wise, of course, and and under his wise uh, rulership, uh, Israel thrived. And it says that gold was as common as the sand. And so yeah. um, you have this, uh, this flourishing economy and this flourishing nation under Solomon. And, um, it, and, and God begins to bring judgment, right? Really, the blessing of God is resting on Solomon for covenantal faithfulness and obedience for a long time. Of course, he starts to break covenant as he multiplies wives and allows them to erect high places of worship to their false gods. But even before that, the judgment of God begins to fall on Solomon when instead of being a conduit of God's blessing, he begins to build bigger storehouses to store his stuff. So God is blessing him. And the lesson that we learn, what God condemns on Solomon, is the idea that he is now beginning to hoard things. He's beginning to build bigger storehouses, right, as God blesses him. And so we ought not to, as Christians, to, to push this analogy, we ought not to have storehouses, right? We ought to be mm. continually receiving and giving, receiving and giving, because what God is giving to us, he's giving us, giving to us in order to give to others. So it's important to understand this principle, partially because what is, what is so wicked about taxation and over taxation? Well, what's wicked about it is it is, it's actually stealing the individual Christian's ability to be charitable and to be a conduit of God's blessing to other people. And so when you have a government that is trying to seize every last penny and squeeze its population, this is throughout throughout antiquity, not just biblically, certainly biblically as well, but throughout history, we would look back at wicked kings or the ones who levy and who squeeze and who who take as much as they possibly can from their people. God, God uh, condemns uh, the king for taking Nabob's vineyard, right? So clearly yeah. God has this understanding that the king, the, the civil authority is not at liberty to steal from its population. And part of the reason for that, if you're thinking about what is the telos here, what is the reasoning for this? What's the purpose here? It's because God's blessing is to pour two individuals that they might be obedient to God's law to be charitable and giving to others. And so a lot of the um, a lot of the the what's wrong with the the idea of overtaxation and the squeezing of the people and the it, the um, denying them of personal property rights is really it's it's not allowing them to have the privilege and and the opportunity for obedience of being a conduit through which God's blessing flows. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's and a, I, I think, a great way to put it. And and, and you know, um, stop me if I'm talking too long. Chris is Chris, who's my co-host, is is used to he just he just puts a finger up and tells me to shut up when I when I'm talking too much. So <laughs> I apologize. But um, I the other thing that's important, and you guys have touched on this on all your other ones, so it's worth us reiterating um, when we're thinking through the 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 law of God and the Decalogue here. At the end of the day, God's law reflects His character. And so when we say that, you know, God says, do not steal, it's because God is not a thief, right? He is not a hoarder, right? We are not to be hoarders because God is not a hoarder. He gives abundantly and blessing to his people. He created this entire world, and then he tells his people to go out, be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the earth. So God has created, you know, the world full of raw materials and sort of gives man the jurisdiction to go and to take those raw materials and to subdue the earth with it. And the, the beautiful picture that I know you guys go back to this cultural mandate and this, this garden mentality all the time is that God create, like, I think Christians, sometimes we get locked in this idea that we were in a garden, we fell in a garden and we're trying to get back to the garden. Well, we're not trying to get back to a garden. We're trying to get to a garden city, which implies progress, which implies that man takes the raw materials of creation and adds to God's creation not making it better, but adding upon it, adding our own, made in the image of God, our own creative ingenuity that God has given to us. And we are to take the raw material of creation and, and, uh, and build it up to the glory of God. So that implies that we are to take what he's given to us. And, and if we have the ability to alter it, to mine it, to, um, to build it, to destroy it, all those things, then it also implies that God has given us ownership over it. Because it's not like he says, you know, here's the world. And he does give us parameters. That's what we're talking about in terms of God's law. Here are the boundaries. and But right. within those boundaries, there's freedom. And the reason there's freedom is because God actually gives us good gifts. And so, and, and with those gifts comes the ability to either mess them up or to, to use them in a God-honoring way. That's great. And actually, um, that, uh, that leads really well into, uh, into the next point. Like I know, I know that, uh, listen, we get, we get comments from listeners all the time and I, I'm grateful for them. We're going to run a Q and a episode pretty soon, but, uh, all, all of this being said, uh, how do we, what, what are some principles for positivizing this? How, how can we, you know, that you've we've mentioned working for tax reform. That's a, that's a good broader goal uh, today and tomorrow and next week. You know, if I want to if I want to positivize this principle of you shall not steal and the uh, the protection of my neighbors and my own goods. Uh, what are what are some sort of micro changes that uh, that might uh, might help me in that regard. Um, yeah, great question. I, I, uh, I, I love the analogy. I can't remember who said it first, but that uh, theology ought to drip out of our fingertips, right? So all of this yeah. theological, um, you know, uh, meandering ought to uh, change the way we live today, tomorrow, and and you know, long term. So yes, of course, fight for tax reform. But there might be a whole lot of people who are going, okay, that's probably not going to happen in my lifetime. We can work, yeah. work towards it, and we ought to work towards it with God's mission and God's optimistic um, view of how uh, how encompassing the gospel uh, can can be when it impacts culture. But 
what do we do now? And um, I think that that's a great question. So number one, I think in in terms of the long-term goal of tax reform and all that kind of stuff and, and this idea of, of shaping culture through the law of God, remember that culture is made up of individuals, right? That's culture right. Is, is the theology of the people made manifest in the world around us. And so um, this, this starts with individuals. And so um, first of all, it starts with Christians being politically engaged, right? If, if tax reform is one of the long-term goals of taking seriously God's command not to steal, then that means we need a whole lot of politically involved and politically um, engaged Christians to understand what that means, because that's not a, a small fight. And there's incrementalism within tax reform. Um, that uh, that Christians ought to be fighting for. So get it, get engaged politically. I think would be one one thing that I would definitely say. Um, in terms of uh, on a, on a more localized level, um, I would also say that um, don't neglect municipal politics either. Um, I've been um, as I've been personally convicted of this um, in in more recent years. Um, I'm shocked at how much money is sort of. Um, uh, allowed for individual city municipalities to actually uh, delegate um, hmm. in in and there's a lot more autonomy than I really thought that there was and so even if you start thinking through municipal politics and and town councils and all that kind of stuff so when I say get engaged and get involved I'm not just talking federally or provincially I'm talking regionally municipalities are yeah. um, school board trustees all of this kind of stuff yeah. you know just because we don't um, want to fund or believe in the public school system doesn't mean I don't want Christians running for school board trustees and on PTA uh, boards. I absolutely do, but look at it as missionary work and uh, behind enemy lines, mm. <laughs> not as uh, not as something you're doing because your own kids are, are benefiting from it. Um, so, but the other thing I would say is there's small other things when you take personal um, ownership seriously. So let's just kind of st step back a, get a bit. Maybe we immunitized the uh, the broader approach in talking through taxation. So when we're thinking through do not steal and the implication that that means that there is individual property rights, that also means that you now have an individual uh, responsibility to yes. manage well and to rule well what God has given to you. So God has given you, so you might be listening. I'm, I'm looking at Ryan on my screen right now. So God has given Ryan some beautiful children, beautiful wife, home, property, and it's uh, it's expected. Now, Ryan bears the responsibility before God to raise those children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, to to deal with his wife and to lead his wife in, a, in an understanding way and in a loving and a sacrificial kind of way. And you're also commanded, and, and I just like, I don't think many Christians take this seriously. That also means you're commanded to rake your leaves and cut your lawn and, yep. and do all those kinds of things because you are commanded by God to um, take dominion and to steward well everything that God has given to you. So even though long-term we might be fighting against the, the government that might be um, asking for property tax from you, at this point, you are looking at your property as something that you own, and therefore you are responsible for God for. So I, I tell this story all the time. I, I have a little five-year-old son named Judah, and um, and one of the things I it was really struggling with him in terms of just um, taking responsibility. Right, he's five mm -hmm. years old, and uh, everything from cleaning his room, making his bed, all this kind of stuff. And it wasn't until I I kind of sat down with him 
And I went through the story of Adam and, and God's command to Adam to take dominion. And I said to him, look, son, like one day your job as a man is to go out into the world and to take dominion. And that means you, you fight bad guys and you combat lies and you push back the enemies and you advance Christ's kingdom and all that kind of stuff. But right now, God has not given you any responsibility and any jurisdictional authority. I, as your father, am giving you jurisdiction over your bed. <laughs> and, yeah. and so you, one day you're going to have to leave yeah. your bedroom and take dominion outside. But, but to train you to do that, you have to take dominion in the, the day of small things. And so what the day of small things for you is you need to get up every single day and you need to take dominion of your bed and you need to make that bed. And unless you can learn how to take dominion of your bed, you're not never going to learn how to take dominion of a home, a family, a culture, a church, whatever the case is. And so it was funny, uh, maybe two or three days later, um, I was kind of impatiently um, waiting at the front door for all the kids to, uh, you know, go to the bathroom right before a long car ride or whatever. And, and I'm like, Judah, where, where are you? Come on. And he just comes down the stairs kind of nonchalantly. I'm like, what's taking so long? He's like, oh, don't worry, dad. I was just taking dominion of my bed. <laughs> Out of so I'm like, I'm like praise praise jesus yeah. yeah um but that's that's the idea is is that god does call men to be culture makers civilization makers um and yet scripture tells us not to despise the day of small things right. so we all want our david moment where he slays goliath in this big public victory um, but we forget that leading up to his big public victory where he slays the giant david is faithful and trust God to protect him against the bear and against the the lion, and uh, and so in those private moments of victory where David is learning to trust God, so so too God has given you maybe a small area of authority. Maybe it's only in your family. Maybe there's some listeners right now who don't have a family yet. Um, maybe you don't own property yet. But what mm-hmm. do you have? What has God given to you? And and taking dominion, and I think being a man is all about bringing about the flourishing of everything that God has given to you. So what has God given to you and are you making it flourish? And as you're faithful with small things, God gives you more. And that's how you cultivate this kind of mentality that we're talking about of being a conduit of God's blessing and being a conduit of what God gives away. Yeah, that's that's such an important uh, exhortation. the, uh, the another way of saying it that uh, that I've often heard saying the same thing is that authority flows to those who take responsibility. That's right, and it's yeah. uh, that's funny. I uh, I have a seven year old son. I like, I'm, and I'm going to tell a story on him now because it's uh, it's it's Go similar. It. But uh, <laughs> so he 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 likes to say this thing. He likes to look into the future and plan for when he grows up, and he has this you know, really really heartwarming way of saying it like you know if it's if he's enjoying something like if we've gone for ice cream or you know whatever it is and he'll say when i'm a dad i'm gonna Hmm. you know i'm gonna do you know whatever cool things that you know that i just got to do with with my kids and you know that's that's great Uh, but he like he would keep on he would keep on saying it. he would keep on uh coming back to it you know week after week with, with a different thing. So this is sort of what he's what he's anticipating doing and the, taking it as a matter of course, you know, when I'm a dad. Uh, but but what it uh what happened and I didn't I didn't plan this in advance, but we had to uh we we had to deal with him about something that some obedience issue and you know it was you know 
I don't know, let's say it was leaving his jacket on the in the middle of the floor or something, something not uh, not you know soul endangering in and of itself. <laughs> but uh, but I had I had to sit him down and look because he wasn't uh, his response to it was not was not right. Uh, he didn't yeah. see why he should have to pick up his own jacket. And so I I sat him down and said, look, you keep saying you know, of all these great things you're going to do when you're a dad, no, no girl is going to want to marry, you know, a guy who doesn't, uh, who throws his stuff all over the place and doesn't think yeah, it should be right. that he should have responsibility for his own, his own property. Yeah. And that, uh, that's right. And you know, that got to him. <laughs> He's like, Oh, right. If I, if when I want to marry a good that girl, way. I got to pick up my jacket. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's <laughs> good. That's good. Healthy motivation. That's um, and I think that's the um, you know, one of the big themes. And I say this to the guys at, at the church all the time is one of the big responsibilities that God gives to men is to bring order to chaos, right? Yes. And we see that in 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 our heavenly Father, right? That he he created the earth and the earth was without form and void, and then he begins to bring order and structure to the uh, the chaos. And, and so as, as men made in the image of God who, who have uh, authority that's been delegated to us to go into the world and take dominion of it, we are to go. And, and, and we forget this sometimes, right? We, we Sometimes um, Christians have this mentality, and I know you guys don't because you talk about this often, but I'll say it in maybe different language that might land on some people differently, is that God, God put Adam – so God creates the, the world, and it's this sort of untamed chaos, and then he and then he makes a garden and in that garden there's perfect tranquility perfect peace perfect order and he puts adam in the garden that he can see what structure and order in a godly way looks like and then he gives him the cultural mandate this is before the fall right he gives him the mm-hmm. cultural mandate go and essentially if i can put it in my own words go and make the rest of the world look like eden right go yep. into the untamed chaos and make a garden city out of it and so adam's responsibility is to take that order that he has seen God make and to go into the untamed wild and and to tame that chaos in the same way that he saw his heavenly father do. And so as fathers, that's what we're teaching our kids, right? Go out into a a dark and chaotic and wicked world full of unjust laws and and high, high treason and go out and begin to bring order to chaos. And we're all given a different chunk. We're all given a different piece of the, uh, of, of the uh, world in order to, to tame, but that responsibility comes to each and every one of us. And, and I think that, you know, when we think about God's law in that way, that God's law is what brings order to chaos, right? Mm-hmm. Now we understand that if we if we embed into our hearts, into our psyche, into our practice, this idea of do not steal, right, for example, then we are, we are taking God's law and we're going into a world and having a better understanding of what equity and justice look like in that world. Justice looks like men who protect what's theirs. It looks like people actually owning things and then and then bringing about the flourishing of the things that they own and then defending the things that they own right and we haven't even really gotten into that is this idea i think you know yeah. again if if the bible says do not steal you are both on the hook not to steal things yeah. but you're also on the hook to stop things from being stolen that's and right. so i think you know you asked for some practical micro um uh steps of obedience 
I would say, men, go get your gun license, right? Like learn, like men and, 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 you know, you and I are both fairly thin guys. So it's not like we're sitting here talking and, and we're saying that you got to be these giant lumberjacks, but I think men being able to be protective in nature, right? So protect the things that God has given to you. Yeah. So whatever that looks like, right? Not being, not being a guy who is, who is weak, but a, a guy who is cultivating whatever strength and that's it. God's given, you know, five five talents of strength to some men and one to others but we're called to be faithful with what we're given and so be a man who can protect be a man who can um can uh protect others things as well right you are this is part of what it looks like to love your neighbors not only not to steal from him but also to be a pr- protector of your neighbor i tell the yep. men in my church all the time that um people in your neighborhood ought to look to you as a patriarch in your neighborhood that ought to be one of the ways that christianity is shining light into the world that when something happens, when a burglar breaks into my next door neighbor's house and the single lady who lives next to us knows she can call us at any time. And just like I would come down the my own stairs with a baseball bat in my underwear, I yeah. might put pants on before I run over there, but I'm running over there with yeah. my my firearm to, to protect her stuff as well. So it, it implies ownership, but that ownership implies your necessity to protect what God has given to you and protect what God has given to those that he's placed under your sphere of authority and jurisdiction and responsibility as well. Yeah, that's uh, I, that's that's a critical point uh, to uh, to to make it to you. Know, you it's we we've joked about this uh, on this series that uh, that these negative prohibitions uh, of the commandments are are pretty easy on the face of them. Like I, I'm just we're just sitting here not robbing each other, and I've I've been doing yeah, I can do this all it's day. Easy, but, uh, <laughs> but that uh, that positive aspect to to protect yourself and your your sphere of authority as you well put it is the uh you know is the logical extension and application of the same principle yeah and i think i mean you can you can certainly and this is it when god's law is the rock on on which you build your your life um you know it it's so far reaching and this is why the psalmist could write psalm 119 just just plumbing the depths and the beauty of God's law because it's so all-encompassing. But you can go as far as you want in, down this this line of thinking that we are. Like, I mean, when you think about that, that means loving my neighbor also means fighting for um, his right not to be stolen from by the government, right? That might mm-hmm. loving your neighbor means that you want just laws to rule over them, not unjust laws. And so this responsibility, not only for um, not stealing from other people, but also protecting what God has given to you, but also helping other people protect what God has given to them. I mean, it just shows you the cultural responsibility that all Christians bear to see God's law actually working out within the society around us. So we all bear this responsibility. And and of course, once again, we'll all have different um, different. Um, uh, I guess scopes of the responsibility we bear to bring about reformation in these areas, but we're all called to be fighting for reformation in these areas. Right. Yeah. Amen. Well, Nate, that's a uh, that's a fantastic uh, place to uh, to leave it for this conversation. In my opinion, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. And yeah, uh, thanks for having me. This is uh, this is a blast. We should do this more often. Oh yeah, I'd be uh, I'd be good with that. We'll uh, we'll set something up. All right. All right. Well, what from beautiful. all of us here at the podcast for Cultural Reformation from the Rebel Podcast, 
we remind you that from him and through him and to him are all things. May God be glorified and we'll, be, we'll look forward to uh, seeing you again next week. <laughs>